Welcome to episode 33 of the Cincy Postcast. We made the playoffs! I mean, how can you not be excited about this team going into this weekend? We talk about the season that was for FC Cincinnati. This is a celebratory podcast. Then we have Pat Brennan from the Cincinnati Enquirer on to talk about, you know, the season that was and the playoff game to be. And then uh, we take a crack at, you know, predicting the playoffs and uh, seeing what we can predict there. And I'll tell you what, if you don't have FC Cincinnati winning the playoffs, you are not a real fan. MLS Cup hosted at TQL Stadium. If you say no, you're a crew fan. Let's go! Joining me to talk about all of that this week, a magical week in FC Cincinnati history. We've got Grayson. We've got the Chief. Uh, Chief, I I don't know how much of this game you got to watch where you were, but how did this game make you feel? This game made me feel alive. Um, yes. <laughs> what I especially appreciate about this game was that for being the whole promise of decision day drama, all of the drama was removed from this game in like 10 minutes, and I could yes. resume focusing on the other sporting event I was watching at the time. As I went, um, I went to go be there for one of my sports heroes, a person <laughs> who's going through a trying time in his life right now, who is, is, is suffering problems at home, problems in life. Uh, you may know him as number 12, TB12, Tom Brady. And when he needed me the most in his life, I hopped on a plane and I flew down to Tampa, Florida. And I was there in person at Raymond James Stadium to show Tom that I am Team Tom, Team Brady. Um, and whatever happens between him and his lovely soon-to-be ex-wife, Giselle. So thank you to FC Cincinnati for – for I had the game streaming on my phone. As soon as it went to the uh, – that game kicked off, I felt like I had to watch that in preparation for the podcast and due to the fact that I'm just a degenerate about this soccer team. But by scoring quickly and scoring often, it allowed me to resume being there to support Tom. So I was able to support the two most important things going on on decision day. So that I, I'm feeling good. Oh, that is, I mean, it's heartwarming that you could be there uh, for, uh, for somebody, you know, who means a lot in your life. That's, that's really big. Um, yeah. We go Grayson, way back, way back all the way yeah. to 2020 in terms of importance in my life. <laughs> it's, it's a tough, it's a tough existence as a Buccaneers fan. But <laughs> There's not a lot to celebrate. <laughs> but but uh, the Grayson, we we made the playoffs. We did it. Was this was this expected? At what point in the season did we expect this? Well, I think I think the postcast uh, expected it. Uh, episode one. Yes, I am pretty sure that I I predicted playoffs the very first episode of this podcast, and then I think at some point in time we did a revised prediction, and um, I still pre- predicted the playoffs. I wrote an article that uh, even with the current roster, this is before Obi, yes. before yes. Miazga. That uh, reasons to be optimistic, and um, I never doubt it. 
Well, this is how you so know. I, this is how you know the post isn't real journalism because I was informed on Twitter today that all the real journalists were very clear yes. in their prediction that we would finish in dead last or close to dead last place this year, and a lot of them got really mad when that got pointed out to them. Yeah. So um, I just want to say, like, I, I understand, you know, MLS media. It's not their fault. They don't really watch FC. Um, no. you know, I looked around and we'll talk about it, but like, I, 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 I see, you know, I, I follow a few of these MLS journalists and they're always like posting like, oh, this is a really good goal or what a wonderful pass from this guy. It's never from an FC game. No, none of, not a single one of them posted that Brenner goal. And we all no. know the one I'm talking yeah. about. Nobody posted that and was like, oh, this is filthy. You know why? Because they weren't watching the game, no. So I'm I, I don't I don't I don't blame them for not picking us to make the playoffs because they didn't watch the team. They didn't know if the players were good. They only knew how they finished in the standings. Yeah. Because um, they don't need to the, watch the games. All they need to do is mention FC Cincinnati on Twitter, and the interactions shoot through the roof because we're just an <laughs> obsessively online fan base. The, the the thing that I'm really happy about is that you know. I would hate to be like an FC Cincinnati fan podcast and not have a single person on your podcast pick the team to make the playoffs at the beginning of this season. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. I, I'm just saying, like, hypothetically. Um, if there was one. If there was there, one. Yeah. There yeah, was one or four out there. Um, right. <laughs> No, it, it ha- would have to be hypothetical because you would have to be a psychopath to spend this much time talking and watching FC Cincinnati and not at least have some irrational hope that this team is going to be good. Yeah, especially as a fan podcast. You're allowed, as a fan podcast, to kind of strip away the, the sort of faux objectivity that that a, a big j journalist might have to carry into a situation like this i i think i said at the beginning of the year as well that like we should expect the playoffs and you should be mad if you don't make it and that's like what being a fan is it, it's even if it's not a rational request that's what that's what you should be looking for for a fan and you should be upset when the team doesn't do well so yes this this is a crowning moment for the the team this is like the uh, the finally turning the page on the last three years, but it's like it's not hard to make the playoffs in MLS. So like, no. let's keep and doing plus, this for a while. Plus, now we get all the points right. We get like all the special p- credibility points and credit for yep. predicting the team to make the playoffs well, the and predicting who- that correctly. Because I assume that there must be something coming our way. Because I can't imagine why else a fan of the team would say, "Oh, I think we're going to finish twelfth. What, you you didn't get your you didn't get your check from Jeff Birding this month. I mean, we Kevin and I both get paid. Did, did that not show up? Well, for you? I, I get the we can call. I get the check from Jeff Jeff Birding no matter what the team does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you get a bus ticket, let us know. Or a flight. Somebody buys a flight for you. That would be the real. That'd be the real thing here. I think. Yeah, I mean, you don't get brownie points for for being right and the team sucks. You should absolutely be docked brownie points if you predict the team to suck and they don't. As as a fan outlet. Here's the part I don't get about all these predictions that have now been proven to be wildly inaccurate. And I'm saying this without going back and looking at what my prediction was for the team because I don't want to know. I only look forward. I don't look backwards when it comes to me. 
Um, <laughs> if the whole criticism of FC Cincinnati was that this team uh, relied too heavily on overseas management, overseas player acquisition, and didn't understand the nuance of the MLS game and basically playing the MLS game correctly, the game within a game, there was no credit given for what that would be worth for this team by any of these writers. And we've seen right. conclusively over and over again in this league's history that when you get people in the teams that understand how MLS works and get players and manage in a style that works in MLS, you see immediate improvement. Now, to the level that FC Cincinnati saw improvement, no, I think that was probably a tough prediction. Like, I think even the most optimistic among us would have said they'll, they'll squeak into the playoffs, which, I mean, they kind of did given that they made the playoffs right. on decision day. But it wasn't like they were in the last seed in the playoffs. This team finished fifth in the Eastern Conference. If you look at the underlying metrics in terms of points dropped, goal differential, all these things that go the, beyond just the simple point total, this team was a lot closer to being a top half of the Eastern Conference team, like elite Eastern Conference team, than it was to being a bad team. And there was just no credit given for what that improvement would be when everything in history suggested this team was going to be a lot better this year with just competent management. And that's the part that floors me, is that all these MLS talking heads gave this team and this organization absolutely no credit for doing exactly what you're supposed to do, and that's hiring MLS veterans to be involved with the product. Yeah, I think it would have been fair to come into the season saying, I think we have an outside shot of doing like what Orlando did. Like if you wanted to be really objective about the team, right? You could say, I think we're going to make some improvements during the season. We have a coaching staff in place that knows what it's doing in the league. And if you look at what Orlando did, they squeaked in seventh place, negative nine goal differential. Right. Okay. We, fifth place, positive eight goal differential. Red Bulls above us had a positive nine goal differential. Okay. <laughs> so, like, this is a team that I think we would all agree got unlucky, unfortunate, screwed a little bit through this throughout the season and should yeah. have, could have easily finished higher up in the table. Yeah. I mean... I'll put my cards on the table. I think this team is owed like 16 more points, which puts them <laughs> at 65 points at Montreal. Okay. Right. And like, I understand right. like not everything is going to go your way, but I, I, we, we, in our chat, we were going through like, just, I think some, what I would say were egregious, egregious errors. And I think that you could argue 16 plus points on the sure. um, but even it, even without that you had up until the second to last game of the season if fc cincinnati had put away chicago as they should have as everything on paper would have indicated they were still in the running for the third seed that yeah. late in the season so yeah just uh, just frustrating just, that it, that it, it's frustrating there that was no respect given yeah none and throughout the season it was the same way it was like there was Cincinnati was always an undercurrent. The best you would ever hear from people is, oh, they're, they're playing much better this year. But, I mean, I really do think that there was a lot of people in this league. Like, we talked about it way when we started this podcast, that I don't trust MLS experts 
because I don't believe anyone has that much time to deeply analyze all of these games in the league. Because right. if you were deeply analyzing all of these games in the league, within the first week or two of the season, probably the first month of the season, you would have really quickly put together that the biggest thing holding FC Cincinnati back was how badly and ineptly managed they've been over the last two years under Yop Stom. And the same players, basically the same cast of characters, and this is even before they added Wobodo, before they added Miazga, um, before Brenner even came back into form. The increase in quality of play, that Austin match aside, was noticeable, apparent, and it was really easy to see what the genesis of that was. And it was just the players were playing within themselves. They they looked on the field like they understood what was being asked of them, and they were being put in positions to succeed. You didn't have Joe Jow being asked to do something he couldn't do on the field. You weren't relying on Yu Yakubo. No instruction or help to do that. Right. right. You weren't relying right. on Yuya Kubo to play defensive mid for the first time in his career. And God love him, he gave a shift last year, but he wasn't very good at it. And this team was just doing the little things right. Having a player at the start of the season for every position. Going out and getting a Junior Moreno. It was like, is Junior Moreno going to set the world on fire? No. And But what people didn't understand, because they don't follow this team. We were pilloried wa- yeah. for Junior Moreno, by the way. Right. <laughs> like yes. They pilloried us for the Junior Moreno deal. And I'm like, you cannot have been watching this team if right. you think that there was any price in GAM that was too much to pay for Junior Moreno. We right. needed somebody who could literally do the job. Right. Right. And right. this team with the floor of this team moved like moved, like, moved we went miles. From like the, yeah. Up. Like from like a seven layer sub basement to just ground floor. By the simple act, and it's like, it's it's comical to fucking say this, but the simple act of having a starter at every position playing their natural position at the start of the year. And it's yeah. been Not- since year one that that's been the case. Even in year one, they were putting Frankie Amaya, who was not a defensive mid by trade, at defensive mid to start the year. This was the first year in the history of this club that it went into the start of the year with a starter playing their natural position everywhere on the field. And it's like, if you just know nothing else about the team and know that fact alone, you have to give this team a huge bump in points and a huge bump in, in yeah. roster position. I mean, fuck. Right. And it was well there known was... that, that it, I think I think Matt Doyle even wrote an article on it in the offseason. I, I may be wrong. Maybe he just mentioned it in one of his, like, uh, state of the league things he does or his weekly things but like the the numbers showed that if this team had that if last year's team had even an average goalkeeper yes this even is where an I average go. goalkeeper it's like a it was like a 15 point difference yes right yes and they entered Instantly the season became an average team and they and, <laughs> and they and they insert and they entered the season with i mean we Maybe we didn't know this at the time, but they entered the season with two, right? right? Yeah. They entered the season with two at least average goalkeepers. 
And Alicon was the advanced metrics, like, golden child of MLS. The guy who never got a proper starting spot, but wherever he appeared, all of his advanced metrics looked really, really good. And it's unfortunate that the Austin game happened to him, because he finally got a solid 90 minutes to undo a lot of his good metrics up to that point. But there was no reason to think he wasn't going to be an average, hell, a below average, but in that ballpark goalkeeper in MLS. Like, Teton and Vermeer were so unbelievably bad that other teams probably could have fielded a field player in goal and gotten similar results in the goalkeeping metrics that FCC had the last three years. So yeah, you you went into this season going, okay, they have a ton of money in the attack. If they can bring in one or two midfield pieces and shore up the defense and get an average goalkeeper, this team could be competing for a playoff spot. And that's literally what they did. Now, you could critique the lack of proper defensive investment early. I think Alvis Powell was the only starter we brought in to start the year. But it eventually came. Uh, Wobodo was rumored in the winter. Yes. But just massive addition by subtraction. Just massive amounts of addition by subtraction on this team that went unnoticed. Getting rid of Yu Yakubo as a starter, as a defensive mid. Massive addition by subtraction. Getting rid of Kamahilo Makocho in the midfield. Massive addition by subtraction. Getting rid of Kenneth Vermeer. Massive addition by subtraction. Just, just Cruz, Black, Alan Cruz. Just so much effort placed into just getting bad players out of the lineup, and it just went unnoticed because a no one really watched this team last year. You know, okay, fine. This team was unwatchably bad for the majority of last year. But if you're a fucking pundit, it's still your job to watch this team. If you want to claim that you are an MLS expert, you should still be watching to know that, oh, when they cancel Makocho's contract, it literally doesn't matter who they bring in. If that person is even a below-average MLS player, it's going to be a massive upgrade. If they bring in even a below-average keeper, it's going to be a massive upgrade. And so to go into the season and say, oh, same old FC Cincinnati, that was just fucking dumb on day one. It was even dumber after there was about a month of game film of what you could see Pat Noonan doing. And it's even dumber now after having the hindsight and the ability to look at it to keep doubling down and saying, well, this is stupid that you kept these receipts. No, you were wrong. You were badly wrong. And to fight with people online now because you're getting dunked on by the FC, lowly FC Cincinnati is it's a shitty look for how provincial and how small the media is for the that covers MLS and it's it's frustrating and I I, I just I want blue check marks to go away. I want you so, your blue check mark should be revocable by Twitter if enough people <laughs> like vote you down on some take. Like if you get ratioed badly enough, you should lose your blue check mark. Yes. Um, so th- there's 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 two things that I want that I want to point to that I think that like one was just ignored I, I don't know how it was so ignored and the other one was just the literati being unbelievably wrong on something okay <laughs> so first I wrote about this before the season and I think we've talked about it multiple multiple times Lucho the whole like oh Lucho does more harm than he helps take last year people had yeah that 
And anybody who watched this team should be able to see this. So much of why that Steelers team was, was bad was because of coaching. And I'm not saying this because the post was like, you know, the stand out yeah. outlet like early in the season. I'm but we were because, and like, we were right. We were and we were yeah, right. <laughs> that needs to be emphasized. <laughs> because like one, um, well, yeah, because like, like, you know, Brandon Vasquez never getting a chance under Stam is another another you know point. But um, look, at I, I, I don't I haven't seen like the chart. I don't like run the numbers, but I guarantee you that Lucho is getting the ball in a way different position on the field this year on average than he was last year. Right. Oh, so it's entirely different when you're like our only plan to move the ball forward is to give the ball to Lucho in our own half and just pray to God he beats seven guys versus like give it to him like in the attacking half close to the attacking third. All he has to do is beat one or two guys. And how many times this season has he done that? Right. Yeah, like yes. he loses the ball sometimes, but he loses the ball forward. It's less damaging. We can win yes. it back. But he beats he beats one or two guys, and now we got Brennan and Brandon free on goal. You know, like like it, I was just clamoring last year for us to come up with a plan to get Lucho the ball further up the field, right? And many people have said, and Patty clearly knows this, that the way to win an MLS is, you know, you press, right? You boot yeah. the ball, you press, right? You try to win the ball back, and you go to goal, right? Uh, I think I think Bobby Warshaw has has talked about this a lot. Others have talked about it, and that plays into like part of why Lucho has been so effective this year. And he was effective last year, despite what people might say. But obviously, yes. he has been way more effective this year. He was this close to being the first player in MLS history with double gi- double digit goals and. With, with 10 goals and 20 assists. Oh. It was like a deflection. A deflection in a couple of games away from, from 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 being the first player in MLS history to do that. And, you know, he's not getting enough love for his, MLS, for his MVP campaign. Because he does have an argument. I'm not going to say he should get it over Mukhtar. But I am saying that I've seen people talk about, like, fucking uh, 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 Reynoso. Right, right. Uh, as like yeah, as like yeah, yeah. one of like the people with a great argument for for MVP. And but to me, if you're not talking about Mukhtar, if you're not talking about Driussi, Lucho is the only other person who I here's think an argument, who I think here's an argument I've heard I haven't heard anyone make about Lucho for MVP. And I realize we're all over the place at the start of the segment. But like, here's I a great it. argument for Lucho being MVP. He's the table setter for a pair of 18 goal scorers. I mean, yes, it's absurd. The, never happened before in this league. No, has never happened before in this league. And to keep two strikers well-fed and in form for the majority of the year. I mean, shit, most teams have one one hero, and that guy's getting all the all the touches in the box. That guy, the, the guy they're playing the offense through, probably the same guy that takes PKs. But instead, you have Lucho, who is the facilitator to keep two strikers active and involved all season long, neither of whom take PKs, and all of, they score 18 goals each. And each. these I mean, were two guys that were written off up until this point. I, not not that Vasquez was written off, but nobody expected anything like this from Vasquez. Vasquez to where, was written off. Okay, fair. I mean, what? Uh Nashville traded him away for like a hundred thousand gam or something like yeah. that. Like no, no, uh, no, Nashville traded 
Vasquez to us, I think, for a hundred thousand or hundred and fifty. This season, they traded Daniel Rios to Charlotte for half a million. Yeah, right. Okay, that shows you the uh, the quality that he was being rated at around the league. Because you have to assume we then gave them the best offer, so everybody else was offering him less than a hundred k. And Brenner was seen universally as like one of the worst busts in MLS history before this season. Now it turns out he's the poster child for the give these guys a second year to adjust to the league when they come over, and they will they will prove their natural talent i mean brenner's first goal doesn't happen until june like if if we had brenner scoring in february we have a golden boot winner and somebody going directly to the premier league this winter yeah you can make an argument that if we didn't have brandon vasquez on this team and they ran all the offense through brenner and he took all the pks brenner might have won the mvp this year (laughs) what if the partnership had to have been healthy early in the season Here's, what do you here's have? the partnership though. Here's here's the here's the what if partnership. You give me Brenner and Santos, but the understanding is all of the goals go through Brenner. Santos is just there to cause chaos. I think I think Santos maybe draw goals. Santos starting a whole season maybe draw in, in this offense maybe draws six or seven PKs. No, that was <laughs> we said that last week that if if Santos got a full year of starter minutes, he would score one goal by accident. And draw yes. about like twelve PKs and about four red cards on fouls that he causes solely. <laughs> like the man is a definition of a chaos creator. <laughs> so, so, so Brenner is actually where I w- was the I think the second part that I that yeah. just that just just boggles my mind with some of these some of these people who 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 talk about this league that I generally don't watch except for my team. Um, so, so there were a lot of takes in the off season that Brenner was like bad last year and yeah, who, like, who had those takes i know, I know i don't know, I know. Could, couldn't so, be me <laughs> but like, obviously the obviously the coaching was terrible last year yes Bre- brenner was not getting he he got like i think among like among like uh i don't know the number but there was it was something like among like strikers over a certain number of minutes he had like the fewest touches I mean, he was never getting chances, but like right. the goals he did score last year, some of those were pretty, pretty sweet goals. And the thing that 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 really told me that like nobody was actually watching our games last year is there was a take early in the season that like Brenner didn't do any defensive work, that Oof. Brenner was like a bad like defensive striker. Well, it was bullshit and because all he did was track back last year. Like he's he, the, the, the biggest pressing critic- striker I've ever yeah, seen. The, the biggest criticism of Brenner <laughs> was that he tracked back too often, and the majority of his great plays were because he was pressing and causing yes. the goalkeeper to make dumb fucking yes. plays. Most, yes. most I, I would say probably half or, half or more of Brenner's goals last year were off of him pressing. Brenner's yeah. introduction um, to FC Cincinnati was stealing the ball off Nashville's goalkeeper last yep. year and scoring like 10 minutes into the match. I thought he was he was on pace to score 100 goals in a season based on the oh. goals per minute after that first half. <laughs> so so like I mean with a with a coach who is so I would say Brenner is not just the poster child of of um whatever whatever Kevin said a moment ago. But I think he's I think he's also the poster child for like you know, you can spend you can spend money, but you need you do need to like have some thought 
for what position you're bringing somebody into, right? Right. Because I think I think I think that the argument last year, and I think the the good point last year, is it made absolutely no sense to spend thirteen million dollars to add a striker to that team. Right. Right. I'll go a step. I'll go a step further. I think it didn't make sense to spend any amount of money on any player to bring in with Yap Stam because you yeah. look at like. The, what is the difference between this year and last year with all of these common denominators? It is that you have a coaching uh, staff. I'm not even going to put this solely on Pat Noonan because I think a lot of credit goes to Kenny Arena and Dom Kinnear as well, that yeah. you have a coaching staff that is experienced in this league and they can go to a player like a Brenner who was struggling last year and say, okay, in this league – this is how you need to play to combat what they're going to do defensively, what these other coaches are going to do. They're going to tell you in this league, this is how you prepare for these various teams that are around the league and what they're going to do. And for yep. whatever reason, and I don't know what that is, my suspicion is it's because he's a terrible fucking manager. That just didn't happen last year with Yop Stam. It didn't happen right. with Gerard Nightcamp. It was two people that made no effort whatsoever to, to do their homework and study up on the league that they were managing in or the league that they were acquiring players in. And that simple act, and it's you don't have to take our word for it or anyone's word for it in the media because you have heard directly from players that this coaching staff is making them better at playing in this league and succeeding in this league. You've heard it directly yes. from Brandon Vasquez, and I suspect if someone got a – Portuguese interpreter and got a sit down interview from Brenner. I guarantee you, Brenner would say the exact same thing, and hopefully yeah. limit his comments to what's happening on the soccer field, and don't go into any additional comments about what's <laughs> happening down in South America. But this coaching staff is doing a better job of preparing these players. It's why you've seen improvement from not only Brenner and Vasquez, but you've seen improvement from Nick Hagland this year. Nick yes. Hagland looks like a completely different player this year with competent coaching and people that are preparing him and the entire back line on a weekly basis. Jeff Cameron looks better this year. Um, uh, uh, Alvis Powell looks better than he ever looked when he played for FC Cincinnati previously. Lucho Acosta looks better this year. Competent coaching matters like that's yeah. the revelation of this year the cheat code that we were all missing and it's like why it was so fucking frustrating that this club stayed with Yapstam as long as they did competent coaching and a competent staff it really does make a difference in this league a huge it, difference also you can see where yeah right. right having a staff like i don't know whose idea it was to hire like Yap Stom and his other friend who never also right. had never heard of MLS before they got the job. Whereas like this year we have um like four. Uh we have we have we have Noonan, we have Arena, we have Dom Kinnear, and we have and Ricardo Pires. Well oh, we, have, yeah. we so we have four sure. like first team field coaches, and we have Paul Rogers, and I think he has like an assistant goalkeeping coach. I mean We've said it before, but like the uncapped spend in this league is not limited to DPs, right? the The general man, you're not capped on what you can spend on a GM. You're not right. capped what you can spend on a coaching staff. Uh, at one point in time, I I think it was last year. I was like, we were in one of our 
one of our loss moods and I went on the Columbus crew uh, uh, web page and looked at their looked at their staff and like they had a whole technical department. They what? had a team of coaches and we had Gerard Nijkamp, Yapstam, and Saeed Bakati. Ugh. Right, and then Rough. and then whatever whatever that that data guy that nobody listens yeah, to talk to, and the data the, video yeah. analyst guy, yeah, I it reminds me of uh, like if you ever watch the the occasional Alabama Crimson Tide broadcast, they're always like, wow, that was a great play drawn up by Bill O'Brien. Like, oh right, right. the offensive coordinator was an NFL head coach and GM for eight years after yeah. leading Penn State through the roughest patch. Like, that's yeah. the assistant coach. Yeah, their defensive coordinator was Greg Schiano, who's a former NFL coach <laughs> and has been the college coach right. multiple times. Yeah. These people right. matter. Like, I'm sorry, but, like, it's not just Pat Noonan. It's having a competent staff of people that's underneath them, having people that are preparing these players. Because you know what? It, as fun as the John Harks thing was when we were in USL, at this level, you've got a coach. You've got to coach yeah. these guys up because there is no way around the fact that on an MLS roster, eventually the ball is getting touched by someone that's making like $150,000 a year. And that guy better be fucking prepared. That guy better be put in a position to get the absolute most out of his talent or your team's going to lose. Soccer's a weak link sport. You said that before, yes. Kevin. And we were yes. constantly exploited by our weak links because they were probably playing out of position and they had no idea what they were being required to do by the system yeah. they were playing last year. And, and we, sometimes and we had you have a Doc roster. as an assistant. He works with that guy and that guy scores 18 goals. Right. <laughs> right. And, and – the previous administration was treating this sport as a strongest link, like an NBA team. Like, if we just get three All-Stars, we'll make the playoffs. That's easy. Um, no, and I, I love this this coaching staff as well because, obviously, you, you love the success stories. You love seeing the guys that have done well. But you've also seen the players that they've challenged where there has been struggles, where uh, they push these guys, and it didn't look good for a moment, and it came – it came good in the end. Alvaro Barial was very well on his way in the Isaac Atanga trajectory. This team was not intending to play with wingers. It still doesn't play with wingers. He was more or less frozen out of the squad until an open cup match against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds where he showed his stuff. And all of a sudden, he makes Matarita look replaceable or expendable, I should say. I'd go, I'd go farther than that. I Yeah? I, I, I'll... I'd bet money that that Moderita does not come back and Barial does. I mean, he's probably I, a more valuable t- asset. I would, not t- I would not take that bet against you. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying I want it to happen. I love Moderita. I think he's done a lot of real nice things um, um, for this team. But when I look at but, you know what he brings at eight hundred thousand dollars a year in whatever his whatever his option deal is and what Barial brings at his U22 deal. Right. Right. And you have a little more versatility with Barrio. Uh, but you had Brenner. Remember, Brenner was suspended by this team for oversleeping a meeting. Like, that's that's a real good slippery slope to go down to just 
cutting the guy or taking a really shitty loan back to Brazil and that being the end of this. At least we forget Lucho was given the captain's armband as a challenge to him to more or less mature on the field. He was the hothead. He was always willing to try shit and get stuck in and tackles. And the the coaching staff recognized that if he could have a, a cooler head, if he could take some more responsibility, he might calm down just enough to hum at this really nice level that we saw him take responsibility for the Austin match. And sure enough, we didn't see anything quite like that until the Chicago game. But nothing else really <laughs> quite <laughs> happened like that. I don't I, acknowledge I was, the existence of the Chicago game. It's news. <laughs> That's very so fair. I, I, was, I was walking back from work, which I started again uh, this afternoon. <laughs> Thank you and, for your service. Um, Congrats. <laughs> and I uh, I was thinking about, you know, because I, w- I was re-listening to an old, an old allocation disorder for petty reasons. And um, I was thinking of I was thinking about like Albright coming in and like bringing in Noonan, right? And then they right. fly in Kenny Arena and they bring in Dom Kinnear, and I'm like, I, I'm just imagining like Albright and Noonan, you know, out of the bar one night doing like a fire festival, right? They're having a couple of drinks and they're just like, <laughs> let's just fucking do it and be legends, right? We're gonna open a bar. We're going to run our own team. We're going to put on yeah. a music festival. And they brought in like all their buddies and it like worked out, man. And it worked yeah. out beyond anybody's wildest dreams. Because like on the allocation disorder episode I was listening to, they were saying uh, that they were saying that they needed to find like a placeholder survivor coach because this team was years away from competing. Right. Yeah, under right. any circumstances. And it was, was after all. This, was, this was the worst job that you could possibly take. That this was a GM yeah. killer and a coach killer job because the amount of time it would take to rebuild this franchise and rebuild this team would be would exceed the lifespan of a GM to survive with an under five hundred record. And yeah. it turns out it only took one year, just the right people in place, and yeah, no, it turns out this wasn't such a bad job after all. And I hope that the team has. I hope that the the team and whoever our future soccer president uh, learns a lesson from this because I would love to keep Noonan's staff together. I'm sure Noonan would love to keep his staff together, but I assume yeah. that with the turnover in the league, guys like Kenny Arena and Dom Kinnear are going to have opportunities to do other things. And I don't think the team should get in their way necessarily and stop them, but like. Be competitive. I hope they've. I hope. What's that? Yeah, like definitely. They be, should be competitive salary wise. Like be competitive, but also realize the value of having yes. a full staff, right? Yes. So yeah. So if one of these guys moves on, give your GM and coach the ability to replace them with somebody else who can do the job. You know. To that level, absolutely. Yeah, get the yeah. Go out and 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 realize that like you need people who teach the game, and you need people who are students of the game, and you need people who have experience in this league. And there are guys out there. You've just got to be willing to open the checkbook and open the wallet to pry them away with, from whatever opportunities they're at currently. And yeah, your point about like the coaching staff and the GM being—it's a fourth and fifth DP spot. 
it, it's where you can spend a lot of money to differentiate yourself from other clubs. What differentiates right. the good clubs and the bad clubs in this league? They spend money in the positions where they can make owner spends to make a difference. Coaching, uh, talent acquisition, and the DPs on the field. You've got to be maximizing and getting top-level production out of all of those spots if you truly want to ascend to the level of perennial contenders in this league. And, you know, hey, ownership group in this town isn't shy about spending money. So I hope that yeah. a big takeaway I have from this year as we sort of get ready for the playoffs coming up is that I hope they realize that, you know, if they thought that spending money didn't matter in this league the last couple of years because the return on investment has been poor, I hope to God they look at this year and think, man, if we spend our money the right way, this team can get better in a hurry and the results don't need to top out here. If, if this is what we got with half of a leftover roster from the worst team in league, one of the worst teams in league history, half of that is a leftover roster and a couple acquisitions. Imagine what we can do if we spend that same amount of money and that same amount of effort next year to replace right. all these players. And keep spending That's... at this level. Like the the I I don't like I don't want to think about that right now. Just because there's a fucking playoff series uh, coming yes. up, and this team is four <laughs> wins away from MLS Cup, and we're playing Jesus. a bunch of teams that we've played. Basically, we've held serve on. I think somebody posted it online today on Twitter that if you look at the records of teams against other playoff teams, uh, FC Cincinnati, we have a zero goal differential against other playoff teams. We've held yeah. serve. What that tells me is, like, are we a favorite going into these games? No. But there's no team that's out there on the eastern side of the bracket where I'm like, well, I'm afraid of them because we've played all these teams well at various points during the year. So I don't want to look yeah. too far I, ahead. But fuck is it exciting to think about, like, what is this coaching staff going to do with a full off season to churn more contracts and get better players in here? Yeah, Grayson, I, I believe you tweeted that out, and uh, it still blows my mind. Montreal is the only Eastern Conference playoff team that beat us this year. That's just insane. Uh, Montreal, by the way, twice. I think, right, I at home and away, like we, we we took their fair shots, and I believe Montreal only beat. Uh, only won two or three games against Eastern Conference playoff teams. They got all their points whipping up on everybody that they should have beat, but they didn't really go to toe to toe with any of the the bigger teams. I I do want to say too, like this this playoff run, making the playoffs. This is a a nice success story. I mean, it's the post. I, I'm not gonna not praise Jeff Birding here, but the the <laughs> promise of a Chris Albright hire was, hey, you do really great things in Philly on a shoestring budget. Your owner lost all of their money in the 2009 housing crisis, um, so they don't have any cash to spend. What if we brought your brains and met it with a checkbook willing to spend how far could you go and all of a sudden you end up with guys like Wobodo and Miazga and these like really smart pickups that don't you know tie the team down long term uh Wobodo can become a, a non-DP I guess in a couple of years Miazga not a DP like this is incredible work now imagine what happens when we have um i'll say uh bodgy blackett cruz and kubo's salaries to play with like this this team has a whole nother level to get to yeah so off the top of my head um let's assume i know i know that people will say that this might not be a fair so this might not be a correct assumption but let's assume that our 3dp stay 
Yeah, okay. fair. Um, and they they stay DPs next season. Sure. Uh, Albright has at least two U twenty two slots to play with. He has a million dollars in salary coming off the books from Cruz, a million dollars in salary coming out the books from Uyakubo, who, you know, I mean, even if he brings him in, it's, it's not going to be at that million dollars. It's going to be at a lower right. salary or he's going to be gone. Um, $800,000 coming off the books for Blackett. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> $500,000 coming off the books from Don Baji. Um, another. It was a. Gaddis, I think we've talked about potentially re-retiring. Well, another another half million potentially or or whatever from Santos. If he brings in Santos, it's not going to be at nine hundred thousand dollars. Right. Um, potentially eight hundred thousand dollars coming off the books from Moderita. Jesus um, Christ! <laughs> we are talking like I I wasn't adding it up as I went along, but we're talking about like four four plus four to five million dollars in in resources <laughs> plus two um two spots where transfer fees don't count and they're two hundred thousand dollar cap hits cap hits yeah um and that's not even going into like what happens if you know they sell brenner to europe and they get it and they get to do a ydp right um right. Which I don't. Or you restructure a deal somewhere else. Yeah. I know. I know all the stuff about you know Brenner wants to move, and I don't think the team should like stand in his way of moving if there's a right deal. But like, as a fan, <laughs> it's gonna I be want, hard to say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> I want. I want a full season of healthy Brenner. <laughs> yeah, but all that stuff about healthy Brenner. Brenner yeah. All that stuff about Brenner wanting to move was also, as Kevin pointed, during you know the alarm clock era, and like. There yeah. very much was a, a, a career arc for Brenner in just this season alone of, you know, you could tell that there was some reticence to buy in. You could tell that the coaching staff wasn't high on him. And at some point along the way, maybe the two sides sort of found their place with one another because he certainly doesn't look disgruntled. I mean, if he's, you know, Calvin Harris looks fucking disgruntled whenever he's on the field. <laughs> yeah. Brenner looks mostly happy to be here um, at this point. So I'm... I'm going to be lukewarm on reading in anything into the Brenner situation right now because everybody yeah. wants out and everybody wants to be somewhere else when it seems like there's no future and it seems like think you're just spinning your wheels and running in place. Now? I don't know. Um, I mean, if you're yeah. Brenner and you're like, oh, I scored 18 goals and I didn't score my first goal until June, right? Give me right. a full season healthy I score 30 goals next year. Right. <laughs> right. You know what? And then what, you what? write your, you pick which team you want to play <laughs> for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a future where, yeah, maybe we only get him till the summer of next year because he's just lighting the world on fire and fine. enough teams yeah. in Spain and Italy can't say no. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I, it's, it's, it's a good exciting. situation that we're in right now. And what's fun is, is that I, was mentally prepared this year to be in a position where this team took steps forward, that we identified who is part of the future and who's not part of the future. And that would have been, I guess, an okay end of the year, that this right. team didn't finish in last place and we can say with certain who's part of the who's going to be part of the system going into next year. And instead, I mean, instead we're we're still playing. We're playing in the playoffs. 
And there have been a yes. lot of hard questions that have been created in a good way. Hard questions like, how hard do you try to keep Brenner around for another year and convince him to be part of this system so that he can continue to build his value? Do you bring a resurgent Jeff Cameron back for another season? Um, there's good questions and good problems that we have going forward. Good problems about replacing players that were underperforming, and we're still in the playoffs. So we accomplished yes. every one of those goals yes. while also winning, and that's 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 so cool. That's it's just I just we we were. We spent this entire segment praising Pat Noonan and Chris Albright, and somehow we're underselling just what an impressive job they did this year to have this team in this position where the talent evaluation is complete. A lot of bad assets are already gone from this team. A lot of uh, positions and players for the future are already added, and they got a lot of the hard work done, and they won along the way, which is multitasking. Fuck yeah. I mean, we wrote down here DC recap, but really, I think I think we accomplished our goals here in terms of playoff recap. That wasn't a game. It was like barely. It was like barely a game. Right. <laughs> like, that, it was a coronation. It was a. Yeah. It was a. It was a vibe. Yeah. It was a victory. What lap. sort of vibes are we taking into the off season? It turns out. This is pretty good vibes going right. into the offseason. Like, I mean, it, look. If this was an NFL game, this would be like one of those ones where like Aaron Rodgers gets benched at the half because Green Bay scores 50 points to like lock up the number one seed. Like that's what this was. Yeah. yeah. It was it was nice. It was nice to not worry about it so early. It's the and, battle of um, New Orleans. Just <laughs> the unnecessary <laughs> yes. battle at the end of the Civil War. Ah, yes. yes. War of 1812. Yes. Yeah. Just oh, whatever. The word the word didn't quite get to us, but that's fine. We we blew him out of the water. This anyway. was more this was more fodder for my theory that if Brenner does have a, a weakness and a spot that I don't like about his game is that he scores a lot or he doesn't score at all. And god damn it, would a few of these goals have been really useful against Chicago last week. <laughs> oh man. Let's see, uh, I mean look, he just needs to do it a couple more games. Just unloading everything in a couple of games and we'll be fine yeah. we'll be fine i'll put it um, this way if brenner score continues to score hat tricks i'll bet we don't lose a playoff game we are still <laughs> undefeated in games in which brenner scores Ooh, yeah but here's the problem with that one chief is uh montreal could very well put a hat trick to the test we tend to we tend to lose or at least play in just absurd games against them so a a seven to five game where we lose and Brenner gets a hat trick seems very possible yeah but if, if that if that is possible it means we made the Eastern Conference Finals so bring me on the possible that's a great point um look we're gonna wrap this point up because part two we have I mean, at this point, the the fourth co-host, am I right? Pat Brennan joining us on the podcast. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the playoffs, of course, but then we'll, we'll dive into the uh, the New York Red Bull match in particular. On the other side of old Brennan, uh, we're going to talk about the playoffs in general, the structure, and uh, touch on anything else we, uh, we might have missed. Uh, so stick around for Pat, and we'll catch you on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Pat Brennan back for the third 
time, as I said earlier in this show, is is one more away from being a a co-host. I think officially on this one. Uh, but Pat, welcome back to the postcast, buddy. How you feeling? I'm doing great, guys. I actually, you know, we're gonna talk about the playoff run here. I am fully in like second win mode. I have the <laughs> wind in my sails going into this postseason. I'm ready for a long run. I feel great. How are you oh, guys doing? So, so, so much better than last year at this time when it was just the Tyrone Marshall parade of sadness and marching <laughs> towards the end of another lost year. Probably, probably a lot easier to get up for covering this game against New York than it would have been to cover one of those like 10 loss in a row games than the season last year, I'll bet. <laughs> you mean the, de- the great death march of 2021? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has been, you know, I mean, like, just FC Cincinnati made it pretty clear that they were going to assert themselves on Sunday against DC United. So there wasn't a lot of suspense there, really. I mean, yeah, you score in the fifth minute again, two minutes later, and then you just knew it was on. Um, at that point, like less than 10 minutes into the game, but it's, uh, you know, that was for about five minutes, that was very intense and suspenseful, uh, for fans as well as myself. And, um, yeah, I I just, this is uncharted territory for me. Um, all the cool things I've done at the Inquirer, uh, covering FC Cincinnati in the playoffs is one, something I haven't done since. 2018 at any level and uh, not done in the MLS at all, obviously by a, a long, a long <laughs> shot. So this is really cool. I'm, I'm thrilled for Saturday, obviously. And they did you a real solid there by the, the journalist dream where they allow you to start working on your game story before the game is even over. Like they had you yes. everything all wrapped and done by halftime. And you, you had that last 45 minutes to get the gamer polished and ready to go. <laughs> you know, you know, what's fun. You're absolutely right. Uh, that's something we talked about at training this week out in Milford, like how great it was to have no, we actually, we mentioned it to Pat Noonan and he was like, I'm glad I could help. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the game story was done. Audi Field has an open-air press box. And I don't know if you guys would, huh. would have heard this, but, I mean, it's like a retractable sliding window kind of deal. Okay, And okay. so it was open on Sunday, um, you know, 2.30 p.m., so the sun is at or near its, like, highest point in the sky, absolutely beating down on us. I looked like Harvey Dent at halftime. Half my face was <laughs> completely, like, destroyed by the – ravaged by the sun. And – I don't know if you guys have heard this, but DC United actually their stadium and like the way it's oriented relative to like the sun's path during the year, it's uh, they have trouble with sun and glare, and yeah. uh, they've had to add some kind of um, some I guess like vinyl uh, some some vinyl netting and some vinyl advertisements on kind yeah. of the uh, the far side of the field to help block that. I think. Uh, someone also mentioned they start matches later at Audi Field to, to hmm. help avoid this problem. And um, I was getting a, I, so I was one of several people, uh, part of the FCC cohort that had like a huge headache from this sun oh, situation on Sunday. So because <laughs> it was such a bad game, I was able to go up into kind of a lounge area in the press box. I had no direct view of the field and uh, it was, it was, Five, 
Yeah, it was 5-2 at that point. And I just watched the rest of the game on a monitor and like like the chief said, polished off my game story and <laughs> Okay. I might okay. still I might I might still be suffering right now if uh had I had to stay in that seat for the full ninety minutes. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you you're you're getting your, your uh your game story ready in the first half, but be honest. When D C came out and scored to start the second half, did you start like backspacing and Thinking like I better, I better not, I better not write anymore. I mean, that was, until I see what's going on here. I, I mean, dude, dude, that was like a horror start to the second half. And, yeah, you know, Vasquez obviously, you know, squelched it pretty quickly there. But that was uh, that was terrifying. I had not seen them give up a goal. I can't remember the last time they gave up a goal so cheaply and easily. So I, I thought, whoa, hey, now you know we could have a problem here. So, yeah, but obviously they saw it out. So I I got to I got to imagine too that like like this this game was a relief, but this season has to be a relief. What is it what has it been like covering a winning team and is it tacky to ask are the clicks up on a winning team this year or do people no, not... love hate reading about the team? <laughs> no, I can tell you when they're losing the hate is surface level. You don't need to read my story to like really learn a whole lot more than what you're seeing on the field, right. you know, over these last 3 years. Um yeah, the clicks are definitely up. Uh, nice. I don't have a nice. I don't have a percentage for you there, but like, <laughs> no, I I said this it, winning winning is, you know, I it would be disingenuous of me to say that like FC Cincinnati winning isn't good for business. It absolutely is, you know, yeah. um, and in that respect, you know, you shouldn't ever let what the team that you're covering you know, how they're performing, that shouldn't affect your mood or your like zest for the job, but um, it does. And yeah, there's something dispiriting about putting the same level of energy and excitement into a story that, you know, just no one's going to read this because FC Cincinnati's 420 and four right now, which was the case a year ago, you know? So um, no, it's, it's been really rewarding. I'll tell you, it's been, um, kind of a validating experience and i've thought back a lot to not so much like the early mls days when they you know they well any of the mls days prior to this season really <laughs> you know i've thought a lot back to like covering the expansion push when i would go to all-star games to not corner him like literally but in like a press conference context kind of corner don garber and it was the only time and space you could really get direct answers from him about some of this expansion stuff and i remember like the looks and comments you would get from other reporters in the room who were maybe covering established mls teams or um anointed expansion markets and it was just they were very dismissive you know it's it's something fc cincinnati fans can all relate to if you've followed the team closely at all but just people it's like why this is a waste of your time why are you here and but you know we knew all along all of us that what was happening here um and this is another moment where uh, kind of like fc fc cincinnati getting the expansion bid now that they're in the playoffs it's like validated a lot of the hard work that's happened over the last few years and um 
it's been very rewarding. It's been really rewarding, especially with someone like Brandon Vasquez. You know, I think certain people, I'd like to number myself among people that saw this season coming from him. Yeah. No one would have predicted it would have, you know, he'd score 18 goals and go to the all-star game and, you know, be um, on the fringes of going to the world cup. But, you know, um, it's been, I don't know. It's just stuff like that. It's like, if you're here and reporting on something over the long haul and you have good insights and then things start to come to fruition, it's just, it's validating. So I've enjoyed it personally and professionally. It's definitely so, fair to say. So when was the moment this year? Cause I know we've, we've had you on before and yeah. there was kind of always this question of will they, won't they make that playoff push? Get over yeah. the hump. For you, when was it this season that you looked at this team and you're like, you know what? I think the playoffs are genuinely a realistic possibility. I think they've got what they need to make that push. Yeah, that's a really good question. It, I, I've thought a lot about We've had some pretty intelligent conversations on this show together. Which is that's shocking for all of us. But, you know. <laughs> but like, how, right, how right were we about that Real Salt Lake, Seattle back-to-back yeah. being, you know, so uh, important, you know, like – I think Real Salt Lake was the moment where I was convinced they were going to get in, Chief, to answer part of your question. I think, um, you know, uh, results were sliding um, in the middle of the summer, and I the beating Philly the way they beat Philly was really, really impressive to me. Yeah. I thought at that point, yeah. like, the, okay, these guys have the ingredients. They can go and maybe make some noise in the playoffs. And then – but like you guys saw, there were thresholds, milestones, you know, trip wires that were tripped along the way that just felt meaningful and significant. So um, Eddie and Rocky asked me on 700 WLW, I think yesterday, like, you know, was this a total surprise, them making the playoffs this season? And it's like, before the season, yeah, you never would have projected out this kind of year from FC Cincinnati. But if you watch them consistently along the way, you saw this momentum building and everything snowballing. Um, so I, I don't the the Philly match sticks out, Chief, but um, it was definitely like a gradual accumulation over the course of the year. I would say that I started yeah. to believe, and then when like when Brenner got hot against NYCFC, on an in, Brenner was obviously so important to this team down the stretch. Um, when he did that against NYCFC, you like put five past Sean Johnson and like, you know, <laughs> half of them were, like two of them were yeah. ruled out. Or whatever. Right. Um, that was scary. And I thought, whoa, you know, I'd never seen that kind of explosiveness from Brenner. And when he, you know, you think like, wow, if he can do that, even he doesn't even have to do that consistently. If he can do that every third or fourth game, this is, this could be really scary. And it was, it was very scary from Brenner. He, <laughs> He's in, he's incredible right now. Um, so yeah, uh, that's the law. That's the, the the very long answer to your question, Chief. <laughs> no, I I love it. I was actually thinking about that. You know, when when did Brenner turn it around? And I I think I, I don't remember the exact date. I think it's the date that he did the uh, the absurd sombrero trick in the uh, the losing effort i forget who that was <laughs> toronto he, toronto yeah toronto <laughs> just flips the ball over his head and it was just like 
yeah, man, sure. Like, he was still yeah. full of confidence. It was I like, all right, that, he's going to be all I thought, right. I think that was rock bottom for Brenner. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think that was rock bottom. I mean, yes. <laughs> you know, what was then, like, you know, no one foresaw that Toronto was going to go and, like, have the second half that they did. Even though, like, you knew the stars they were bringing in were going to have a huge impact. Like, it was just like, man, what are those guys going to do in this situation? So, Toronto was in its own was Toronto was cratering in its own right. And then for Brenner to whip that out at that moment, it was just like, Oh God, he thought that was going to help the team or himself. Holy crap. And that was also hot on the heels of Brenner oversleeping for a meeting and yep. getting oh. that little mini suspension for the team. So he's just so the, the, the character arc of Brenner this year has just been absolutely fascinating. It's from, like a, a Shakespearean drama, like, <laughs> <laughs> the, the low and the, like the high that he's going out on this year Just, you know earlier today he was obviously named player of the month for september and the first weekend of october and you know he's like i'm totally bought in on brennan right now i've been very skeptical and he the thing that's winning me over obviously the production helps the goals help but he's like a he's a willing and invested teammate now he cares about his teammates i yeah. see that in him whereas i saw someone who was fairly ambivalent maybe um you know not definitely holding back in some respects when I, like in my opinion am i just speaking for myself when i would watch him at training i saw someone that didn't necessarily again this is just me speaking uh someone that didn't really want to be there and now like you know if someone gets hurt at training he's like the first one on the scene um he's just it's just been an incredible transformation and uh i, I honestly couldn't be happier for him do you think it's asked. enough <laughs> do, you, do you do you think it's yeah. enough to keep him around to score 30 35 goals next season i i i, I tweeted someone asked me on twitter earlier this week what will I, what do i think will happen with brenner i have no idea man i could see Either of the two, there it seems like there are two obvious pathways. He goes or he stays, obviously. And I have no idea. I have no idea what they will do. I think they're close. I, I think they can get their money back now. I think they might even be able to turn a profit. Like he's been that good. Um, even I'll even take the if you're a scout for an opposing team, I'll take the DC United match off the board and you can evaluate, you know, his first goal from Orlando through um the chicago match because dc like i meant I, I noted like how easily how easy he made that hat trick look and then i was like, well maybe it was easy because dc united is so horrible um <laughs> so Boy, we've been on we've been on the other end of a few of those in this city yeah yeah, yeah exactly so I, I i like he's done it against really good teams this year he almost and you could make an argument, you could fashion an argument that he and almost Brenner alone dragged this team across the finish line when Vasquez went cool for like four or five games in September. Yep. Um, so I, I think they might be able to turn a profit on Brenner at this point. You know, the value is going to be in the eye of the individual club, obviously, the eye of the beholder. So I don't know if they'll keep him around. If they can, I... I I hope they do. I mean, he's he's under contract. He's their player. Um, 
it was their job to get something out of him. They have. Um, I would love to see him back, but you know, you're now at a point where I think you'll be fielding some very legit offers. You know, it was reported that Chris Albright was scoffing at the offers that were coming to him, um, you know, in the spring. And by August, I know for a fact that like FC Cincinnati was seeing, you know, hard returns on the value increasing and what that is now, where those numbers are, I, I would have to think it's north of, you know, what they paid to bring him in. So, and if you can turn a profit there, just knowing how much he wants to go to Europe, I think it'd be hard to, even if it's like a minimal profit, I think it's hard to turn walk away from that just because it, ha- it has been a volatile situation. You don't want yeah. it to go south again. There's no indication that it will go south again, but it's, it hasn't been a perfect marriage. I would cash it in if I could. Do you yeah. think that the Fed's uh, interest rate hikes are affecting the uh, international <laughs> transfer market? Well, <laughs> yeah. you know better than anyone that, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine is affecting markets of every variety right now. I, I actually am I wonder what a, a MLS GM I would say about that. how that is. Uh, I don't know if MLS GMs are like the most clued in on um, current events and stuff. I'd be interested to know how they're seeing like the effects of the war in Ukraine manifest itself in the transfer market. That is more relevant than you think specifically for Brenner because Shakhtar Donetsk had a long reputation of massively overspending on taking raw talent from Brazil and then eventually feeding the talent into the Bundesliga. Really? And uh, Brenner is the exact profile player that would have ended up at Donetsk. Well, wasn't it so- a bunch of, when, the, when the war broke out, um, wasn't it a, a bunch of uh, Shakhtar players who were like a, a natural born Brazilians were they were kind of like up the creek in terms of getting out of the country or anything. And they all yeah. got, I think they all got together at one point and tried to, you know, do whatever they had to do when the war broke out. But um, yeah, I guess Kevin, that checks out. <laughs> yeah, no, Kevin always, this is, this is like Kevin's wheelhouse question right here. <laughs> Soccer, <laughs> geopolitics, yeah, Eastern yeah. Europe. I'm in. Yeah. Let's go, baby. <laughs> I mean, there are there are Brazilians all over uh, like the Russian league too. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes they even naturalize and join the Russian national team. Oh, I think in the goodness. last World Cup, the world, the Russia had a few uh, Brazilian-born players. The, Unfortunately uh, for them right now, based on how things are going with Vlad, they might be nationalized and join the Russian army if they stay there much right, longer. Right. That's a rough, that's a rough deal to take. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Qatar was doing the same thing and at one point fielded a women's uh, international handball team that was like 80% natural born Nigerians representing the Qatari state and whatever Olympic wow. uh, event. Um, but anyway... How about those New York <laughs> Red Bulls, huh? <laughs> hey. That how? What do we? That's I mean, a, I'm just gonna. There's no good transition but, here, yeah, all right? No, there's no good transition. I, I don't know. Maybe well, there's back, something to be said yeah, no for back, back to people we consider to be rivals here in FC Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> speaking, speaking of fighting dirty, New York Red Bulls, huh? This is this is a rough team for for Cincinnati. They always seem yeah. to rattle uh, our cage. Uh, what sh- what should we expect this weekend? I don't know. I really don't know. I think, look, FC Cincinnati, I think both managers are probably saying, I know Pat Noonan said this yesterday, 
you know, they felt like they could have won both games against New York, even though I don't, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. I think New York was probably the better team in both games marginally, at least marginally. Um, look, they have to – it's going to be a really tough out. I think there are certainly worse draws that FC Cincinnati could have gotten, and for that I think they should be grateful and look at this as, like, a great opportunity, you know, and not in the sense that, like, yeah, any playoff match is a great opportunity, but, like, really, there's a – FC Cincinnati can win this game. There's no doubt in my mind about that. The, the thing that's concerning, obviously, is – that um, they, you know, Brandon Vasquez was very, very quiet in both games against New York. Brenner, maybe even more so. Um, it's it's a really tough team to unlock defensively. I don't know how much more FC Cincinnati can like viably change what they do and not leave themselves. They'll not leave themselves, excuse me, exposed on the back end. So, um, and I mean, it's New York seems to always get up for FC Cincinnati. So it's not like you're going to catch them sleeping or catch them out off guard. Um, it's I, this, for me, I'll tell you what, this one thing I, I firmly believe this has the feel of like extra time first round penalties written all mm. over it. I mm. fully expect I I would bet money on um being in my seat for 120 minutes on Saturday. Um it, it I know that, that this is, this isn't too instructive, but yeah. Do you do you think this team has what it takes to to make a run in this tournament or or is this as, as good as it gets and, and everything else is gravy? Well, you know, MLS is such a weird league, right? Like, anyone can beat anyone. We know that. It's one of the cliches that we talk about. You saw it with Chicago Fire coming to the <laughs> TQL Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, could they lose on Saturday? Yeah. I don't think they will. Um, they played the Eastern Conference playoff field so well this year. You know, they didn't win a ton of games, but they only lost twice, and they only lost to Montreal. And Montreal's not on their side of the bracket. So when you think about it like that, it's like you don't have to – now Philly is. Philly's yeah. a really tough yeah. out. And I think they're hyper-motivated uh, for – we don't have – even for my long-winded responses, we don't have enough time to get into that. But um, <laughs> I think that, Philly's – that's the story of the playoff bracket. If FC Cincinnati can make it to Philly and you get the mentor, Pat, the oh, mentor, yeah. Jim Curtin against the, the, the student Pat Noonan. And that's, if I was MLS, I'd be salivating over that matchup in terms of a league that is desperate for narrative. Here's yeah. a narrative. Philly, uh, Philly West meets Philly East. <laughs> that's we had the same conversation at uh, Mercy Health Training Center this morning. Like, <laughs> M- like MLS doesn't really have a bad option with the winner of Saturday's game because uh, I think Philly and the Red Bulls are huge rivals. They've played each other since the Union have been like relevant and functioning as a franchise. They've played each other at least twice in the playoffs that I can remember. They've been incredible games that went to extra time. Like. MLS would welcome that too. So I think MLS is pretty hooked up in terms of the winner of Saturday's game between uh, Cincinnati and New York. But 
you know, they they took the season series and didn't only drop two points against Philly as well. So, you know, they went three, two, and seven in 12 games against the rest of this Eastern playoff field. They should fear no one, you know? I, I don't – I think they'll win on Saturday. Um, I don't know how. Like I said, I think if you go to, <laughs> you go to penalties – you know, and for them to score from the run of play, even they'll got they're going to have to do something differently than they did certainly in the August match at Red Bull Arena. But yeah. I think they can absolutely go on a run, and uh, I won't be surprised if they're playing um, in Philly a week from a week from tomorrow. So does that mean that you're looking for someone like a Sergio Santos to be a difference maker, where he doesn't really score goals? but he's really good at creating opportunities where he gets fouled for a penalty kick, like something like that, where Absolutely. you're not going to unlock these guys, but you might be able to get to the spot against these guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. I think that look, because this is a game that to me has 120 minutes, maybe penalties written all over it. Um, I think the depth pieces on this team that they've increasingly relied on down the home stretch here will be huge. So Santos, huge, huge, I mean, his speed coming off the bench, that is something yeah. different. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I mean, it is something different they can show. Yu Yakubo, who is more attack-minded than Junior Moreno and Obi, if you want to, you know. Yeah. Um, Yu Ya, huge, huge impact player potentially for FC Cincinnati. So I think it's um, another thing FC Cincinnati has going for it, that all those, all those guys are healthy, generally speaking, and um, you know, going into the playoff. They're really well – I think only I only noticed Calvin Harris working off to the side. We're recording this on uh, Wednesday. I only noticed Calvin Harris working off to the side today, and he's not really relevant to the setup right now, unfortunately for him. So, um, yeah, I think the guys that come off the bench for you know, late regulation, if it ends up in extra time, will be monumentally impactful for SC Cincinnati. And I think the Yuya Kubos of the world and the uh, Sergio Santos is are well positioned to make a, a difference. You uh, you reminded me of this. Uh, Alvis Powell left that DC game injured. Is he doing okay? Have have we heard on that? Yeah, he's been training and okay. uh, yeah, that, nothing out of the ordinary from what I can tell. Um, yeah, I, th- I think uh, Pat talked. Yeah. Alvis, Alvis was Alvis looked fine after that game as well. He okay. wasn't getting any kind of special attention. He was just eating and hanging out in the <laughs> normal area of the locker room like everyone else was. He just wanted an early early day, an early yeah, shift. Yeah. I, well, I respect and, and, it. <laughs> and Pat also mentioned uh, after the DC, like Junior, they lifted Junior pretty early on Sunday, mm-hmm. um, and they were active at that point. You know, with about thirty minutes left in the game, it was five two, and you could, you know, you could look ahead to the playoffs. So they were, they were, they pulled a couple guys there. Um, with that in mind. Haglin, Haglin didn't look happy to leave the, uh, the field. No, he didn't. He he I noticed that, like it was, it was about to be too much of a joyful thing, but he was, he was very clearly some of the gestures on field gesturing from these players. And I'm thinking about the Chivas Guadalajara match. Yes. Some of the gestures <laughs> back to the bench have been very combative. I would, that, seriously, if you're a manager, that doesn't that doesn't fly. Put your hands down. So. Put your hands down. Obey me and uh, get <laughs> off the field. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. We didn't really ask about. You know, Nick was beside himself. He was so happy after the game. Right. No one 
was no one's mind was there. So we didn't. Nobody it, wanted to pick up the drama. Come on. Right. Where's, <laughs> I know. Where's I the know. English tabloid side of I you? I know. I know. I know. <laughs> this is true. It's true. Maybe maybe there was room for a question in there. But um, I mean, there certainly was. But it just was not top of mind at that moment. But yeah, weird weird dynamic with this team. They don't mind. They don't mind the little upstaging. Yeah. Do they? Uh, it's. I mean, on one hand, I think it's good. The guys want to be out there. Like, it's not like, oh yes, I get to go in. That's, <laughs> I'm, I'm done playing. <laughs> That's different for a change. They want to be out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well, you, Pat, you, are you going to be in New York for this one? I'll be there. I'll be wow. in. Uh, Matt Miaska was the first person to quickly remind everyone that it's. And you guys know this. I know you know. It's this. in New oh, Jersey. Sorry, it's in sorry, New Jersey. Yes. Matt. Yeah. Matt was just like Matt was like getting too much joy out of correcting people on new york versus new jersey he must really he must know that's a that's a thorny one for some people but yeah i'll be there in new jersey uh across the bay from the actual new york city and uh early i think they got they got hosed yeah. on this kickoff Dude, yeah, like the hell is like it? this is so th- when that kickoff time dropped, I was like, of course, this is how we're going to have to do it. Because it, it screws travel up because you're that really early kick. And to me, what it reminded me of was all those Bengals playoff games against the Houston Texans, where they would always be the 1 p.m. on Saturday kick when nobody really knew that the playoffs were actually going on. Yeah. And you got eliminated before most people had even considered thinking about the playoffs happening. <laughs> it's not – exactly. I was, I was stunned. I know TV controls this stuff, but, you know, you're going head – maybe this is one of those I, – I, I don't really follow college football that closely anymore. Maybe this is one of those weekends where there are no good college games, but you're going head-to-head with college football. Um, and that's, that's just so early. It is a little bit of a shorter week. You're losing – you know, seven almost losing twelve hours off your normal match week schedules. It's a short week in that respect, and uh, yeah, they really got stuck with that one. But they're in the playoffs, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So. <laughs> you take it's it be- anyway. It's, it comes. Yeah. It's, a be- it's a better time slot than Caleb Porter and the crew got. So. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I did think it was weird too that they gave the. Uh, it's a Unimas broadcast is like the main partner, and we don't yeah. have an over-the-air channel in Cincinnati. And I think we're one of the few MLS uh, markets without that. I thought that was a weird decision as well. Maybe they think that they'll they'll rack up the uh, the views in New York. I don't know. That, that Maybe that tracks. But I, it's just, There's a lot of – again, look, TV controls all this. So yeah. you have to think there are numbers and good sense behind these decisions, even if it's not at all evident to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we do get one last run out of the uh, the local broadcast team. I don't think they were anticipating that they had blown their uh, their their whole uh, nostalgia, uh, you know, so good content packet. Good thing they didn't fight with each other on the air or anything like that, or have like an airing of grievances for the last match. That would have made this a real awkward telecast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the 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 nostalgia tour. Uh, we thought that was over, but we do get Tommy. Kevin and Alex again. Good for them. They, Good for them. They actually call this the yep. uh, the this, the the Cincinnati goodbye, where you like say goodbye to someone to like leave the bar, or leave the restaurant, but it turns out your car's in the same direction, so you say <laughs> bye, but you end up having to walk for another like 10, 15 minutes together <laughs> with the person you just told goodbye to. 
Oh, Pat, I, I've, I've run out of my questions, and I say that as if I've prepared anything. Uh, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to uh, wanted to get off your chest here tonight? Uh, you know, I don't have any hot takes. I am really grateful <laughs> to be covering a playoff team. Yeah. Um, Stephen Goff from the Washington Post actually came up to me after the game and congratulated me. Like I, like I had a yeah. great job. No, we congratulations. Hey, we thank you. It. Hey, I, you know what? I do have a hot take. Ooh, I'm not backing down. Did you guys? You guys saw? I know. I know the chief did this uh, nonsense with NYCFC. Yeah, uh, yeah. Go the there. Let's go. Let's go. I've had enough of it, and I can't believe. Like, I actually don't know who that guy was that came out. Roberto. <laughs> yeah. I think he's a team employee, which makes me believe. I think he does local. I think it is radio. He has some broadcast job for them. Yeah, he said it's It's radio broadcast or local TV or something. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's someone that I should be aware of. I didn't know who he was. I mean, like I I lose. I generally see him. You know, there are these names and faces that pop up in certain MLS conversations. He's one of them. I know he's he's in that realm, but um, I certainly didn't expect him to come at me for what I thought was a pretty. Standard um, take the around ta- soccer. The, ta- the take was not even-handed. It was very, it was very aggressive. I think the way I set the whole thing forth. I just think it's horrible for this league to be contesting such a consequential match on that playing surface, which clearly doesn't benefit either team. Even if New no. York might have a little more experience playing in these baseball field setups, it's not to anyone's advantage. It's in fact, I think it's probably to everyone's distinct disadvantage. It's you know, it's a so, lesser product for TV. It looks yep. bad. You're not going to have nearly the crowd you would I have. Was, I'm, I'm like, look, I'm one thing that I will acknowledge and accept after reading through my mentions today, this morning, <laughs> is that this is okay. NYCFC fans are telling me this is better for them. Okay, fine. The game is more accessible to you. Um, you know, a, a, they say it's not easy getting to Red Bull Arena from, I guess, the Bronx is where most of these people are coming from. That's like their point of origin. No. I, I don't know. I don't know where they uh, – where, No. Where, where, where right. do I want CFC fans We're live? talking where MLS they fans. They're not living in the – they don't – maybe maybe some of them live in, like, this, like, southern tip of the Bronx that's, like, got some new-built apartments in it. But <laughs> – <laughs> well, there's actually, you know, they probably live in they probably live in Queens, so they probably do like it in City Field. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I, I, I'm sure they're definitely building out their fan base there, but I just think it's ridiculous. I cannot believe like the whataboutism I was seeing on social media trying to rationalize this setup. Yeah. It's just horrible, um, and I, I wasn't gonna. I don't like, uh, you know, as as Ben Lunt can attest, I don't like a public showdown on Twitter. (laughs) Late last night, I like I had to say something back to Roberto. It was a quote tweet. It was, you know, a swipe, but not a hard one. And then, you know, he said something else. He said I I mentioned that I got like there are. It's a hassle for everyone. I've been kicked out of matches at Yankee Stadium 40 minutes after the game. That is not sufficient for doing your work. Roberto right. said, media get two hours after each game. That should be plenty of time to file your uh, story. Big swipe. Big swipe by Roberto. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's not going to tell me what my experiences have been covering FC Cincinnati matches at NYCFC. 
And I'm telling you, it's a crap setup for media. Um, yeah. And is, also, what I coming what from I, a man I, locked into Harris City Island. Yeah, like, for God's like, sake, <laughs> he's done hard time here. What I can't get over this whole thing is a this guy in particular, this Roberto, whatever his name is, total apologist for the club. Yeah, and I, I just like a I don't believe they're trying their best to build a facility in New York that's appropriate. I, the the, the uh, city football group. $150 billion net worth of ownership right. of city, a city football group. And if like you're having such a tough time building a stadium and having adequate facilities in New York City, do what Miami did and go build a temporary stadium somewhere that's appropriately sized, that has an actual soccer field on it, yeah. and then work on building the bigger project down the road. But just this idea that they keep apologizing for NYCFC playing on – substandard pitches yeah and then when they can't use their bad home field we find a worse field for them to use yeah it's absurd from a league point of view i, it's, it's, I don't if yeah. this would not be allowed if fc cincinnati had a problem hosting a tql stadium there is no reality where they'd let them play the game at great american ballpark they wouldn't let them do it it wouldn't even be a consideration yeah i just think it's not you know i agree with everything you just said I just think the game is worthy. Like home field advantage does not give you the right to drag into Miami onto a sand lot or a parking lot or wherever right. you want to play this match. Miami is deserving of a decent quality pitch to play this game on. As is NYCFC, by the way. I I, I don't know how they feel truly feel about playing at City Field. I can't imagine they enjoy it. I'm sure right. they love a proper field to play on and. Right. You know, look, there's money on the line here for these guys. Their reputation, careers are, you know, made of uh, legends are made of what happens in the postseason in all sports. And I would think these guys want a decent field to play on. So, you know, I just talking about anything else other than the quality and like the it's like an it's almost an integrity of the game kind of not to. That sounds lame and cliche, but no, but it is. I'll back you up 100 percent on that. Absolutely. I, just, I can't. I. I wasn't going to tangle with, and because it's in, like, you know, because it's NYCFC, you're obviously going to get shouted down by a larger number of people. So I wasn't going to engage online with anyone further about it, but it's just absurd to me. You cannot, you will never tell me that City Field is a better option than Red Bull Arena. I understand they want to be the city's team, and to do that, you probably do have to play in the five boroughs at some point. But, look, you've had a presence there in the past. Um, this is a playoff game. They're the defending champions. I would think you would want a decent quality pitch to defend your championship on. And well, I they know could play it's a pill to swallow at Red Bull Arena. That couldn't be worse. Like, it's, it's a horrible pill to swallow. I don't see how it's worse than playing at City Field, though. I really don't. Does Columbia University have a home game? On Saturday or or this weekend, like that's that stadium's like it, it's at uh, what Inwood Park or no? What's what's the neighborhood over by the by the Cloisters? I don't I don't I forget what that yeah. that but it's like really close to the Bronx if that's where they all live. Um, but but I, I so that guy in in his replies said something I think that was like an inadvertently good point where he talked about how bad the revolutions. Stadium, like he started deflecting to other teams, right? Yeah, he started deflecting to be like, "Oh, you think Revolution have a good stadium deal where it's an hour outside Boston?" And like, no, 
the Revolution don't have a good stadium <laughs> yeah, deal. Everybody makes and, fun of that too. Yeah, yeah. And Major League <laughs> Soccer wants to be taken. I mean, I guess I don't know, but I assume it wants to be taken seriously or present itself as like a good league and yeah. say like, oh, we can qualify for the Club World Cup and we're top 10, 12, whatever, whatever number you want to say uh, league in the world. But they've repeatedly fumbled large markets. Um, Boston, Chicago, L.A., the, the Chivas yeah. debacle. Dallas and Houston, while having, I guess, had some success, like those, those are not teams that spend money. Yeah, you know, Chicago. I guess said Chicago, but like even you know New York Red Bulls, who have had sustained success. Yeah, um, still don't still don't spend money. I would say like are under invested. Probably should be a better team than than they even are. Yeah. And if they, could, if they, they don't draw. Being, they can stay a bad team for just one more weekend. That would be. <laughs> yeah. But they don't. Yeah, stop they don't draw. <laughs> like it's not like they're packing yeah. in Red Bull Arena every weekend. Yeah, that's what because there's like what 15 million people in New York, and you're telling me you can't find 22,000 people who can ride the path or whatever that train is that goes to the arena from yeah. the middle of the largest city on earth, like right. or one of the largest cities. Like it's in, it's insane that this this can't happen. And the other stadium that was in this conversation, I, I think it's called Pratt and Whitney Stadium at U, it's UConn's football field. And yeah. it's also, you know, Landon Donovan's uh, send-off match was yes, held there. Yes. The U.S. Women's National, that awkward one with Jurgen Klinsmann still in charge of the team after <laughs> yes. he didn't go to the World Cup. Um, you know, that's the other field in play here. And I'll just quickly mention, I, I assume there's some overlap between uh, NYCFC supporters and the New York Yankees fans. And I think Facebook data revealed that the Yankees have a sizable, sizable portion of their fan base that extends into Connecticut. So I don't, yeah, I get it. Like probably yeah. your most hardcore fans are going to be put out if you play it at UConn's football stadium, but there's some overlap there. It's not like you're going to be playing in front of no one. I honestly, I imagine, I don't imagine the overall size of the crowd at city field versus Pratt and Whitney stadium would be too dramatically different. I'm sure there'll be a drop off. I'll grant you that, but you know, just one more thing I wanted to throw in there. I just, that's another viable option. It's a decent field. Don't get, get the, uh, get the Emirates to get the, the name sponsorship of MetLife Stadium. And you just solved all of your problems right there, baby. That's, you just turn it into the home yeah. stadium. Seriously. Seriously. So I, I, I checked. Columbia is not, it is not at home this weekend. They're playing at, they're playing at Penn. <laughs> Uh, their stadium is in Inwood, so it's on Manhattan. Um, do you guys have any idea what their stadium's called? I don't. I don't know. It's Robert Kraft Field. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's we, can, we can pull I'm, some strings. That's probably the problem there, right? Robert yeah. Kraft could certainly have something yeah. cold. What I assume right. is the lack of... Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I mean, Hofstra <laughs> has a 2,000-person stadium that they could have been playing at. Come on now. <laughs> I think someone seriously mentioned uh, St. John's a few weeks ago. And if you, <laughs> if you guys are familiar with that one, which I am from covering Xavier basketball, that's like on the top deck of a 
parking structure in Queens. <laughs> That's not getting the job done. I think someone, I think I, the reference I saw to that was like dead serious. <laughs> shocking. It's a great field, but just, you know, yeah, not for so, the MLS Cup playoff. Yeah. So good. So, thank you for letting me get that off my chest. And no. I see Roberto down the stretch. Uh, we'll fight him. Yeah, we're with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's really not personal, and I just I I respectfully disagree with you, man. And uh, hopefully, uh... hopefully you were well compensated for defending your your employer online against all of us people with anonymous yeah, accounts. Their, uh, their oh, seventh, well done, sir. Their seventh concrete stadium plan will be announced shortly. Yeah. I'm sure. Right. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, Pat. I gotta say, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the postcast. Hopefully, hopefully you have a uh, a positive gamer to uh, to publish so. on Saturday. Huh? I hope so. Oh, and a return oh. a return trip to Philly in the future. That oh. would be. Oh, there you go. Think oh. of the clicks. Think of the storylines. <laughs> Come on, let's have it. That oh, would be gosh. a John worth writing about. <laughs> Oh, thank you again. Yeah, thank you guys. Oh, we're back, and geez. I mean, I don't know if we could afford his salary, but if the Post could poach us some some Pat Brennan, (laughs) who would say no other than Pat and his immediate family, huh? Well, I mean, if if we could could poach Pat Brennan, maybe somebody would eventually start posting articles to the Post, and we could, you know... (laughs) actually have things for people to read maybe somebody in the media would actually cover this soccer team <laughs> <laughs> no Jeez no I, I didn't mean it i didn't mean it i'm sorry, I'm sorry right well i didn't mean it whoops. it was a joke about it was a joke about some tweets i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> stick to politics oh man <laughs> uh gentlemen i mean we're we're here we have a bracket we have a set bracket. I feel like we we can't end this podcast without doing something of a prediction. So I just I, I only want to look at the Eastern Conference for a second. I'm gonna ask you about non-FCC games first, and we'll see what sort of bracket we get. But who do we think wins of New York City FC and Inter Miami? Where are they play? I filled out a bracket earlier this week. And I have New York City winning this one only because they're playing on whatever fucking weird dimension stadium that they're playing in. On a, on a baseball field, I'll take NYCFC. You know what? I'm going to be yeah. different and take Inter-Miami here. I, it just feels Ooh. like they are – they're the team – if like there's a team no one wants to play in the East, it, it, it's Inter-Miami. Like I get that like yeah. we have played all these teams tough, but Inter-Miami is hot. They're hotter than a firecracker, and – Iguain, for whatever reason, has decided that like I'm going out, you know, both guns blazing and emptying all the barrels. They, Inter Miami has like the team of destiny feel in the East that no other yeah. team has, and so if there's a team that can pick off New York on a baseball field, and they're not their baseball field, it's the other baseball field, which is fucking the other bullshit. One, yep. And I, I'm pleased to report as well that I saw Taylor Twelman retweeted that New York City FC is once again promising. They'll have their stadium situation sorted out by the end of 2022. So as the, I would like to be the first podcast to give a round of applause to NYCFC wow. for figuring they out their it. stadium situation. They did it. We did it. We got them. 
We got him. There we go. So I got um, I got Inter Miami in this game. Inter Miami, despite being so hot, just lost three one to Montreal. Yeah, details. That's true. Don't, you don't watch MLS. You don't know things like that. I do Google. So Montreal versus Orlando. Montreal hosting. This Montreal. feels like a Montreal win. Yeah. Yeah. Montreal. I don't see any. heavy. Heavily. Yeah. Yeah, this, this feels like and this game so, could be non-competitive, honestly. Do we assume that Montreal beats either New York City or Miami? That feels fair to me. I would, I, so. I, would I, could... I would say in that game, I would say yeah. I, like they'll they'll beat yeah. Neither one of those teams is going to Montreal and winning, I don't think. Right. And they Montreal would host either team there, just for for the clarification although there is the possibility of miami hosting orlando in a florida derby should they both get out of there that would also be good news for fc cincinnati if we somehow got to the uh conference finals we would host either miami or orlando so something to uh to root for there always root for upsets in uh in a knockout tournament i actually like miami against so i i think miami is going to lose to nycfc but I like Miami, Miami against Montreal. Montreal. No, I, don't, I don't like them against Montreal, but I like them against Montreal more than I like NYCFC. Just because I think that Miami has a better chance of 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 making a game a shootout. Okay, yeah. I see that. They've got the firepower now that Iguain remembered how to play the sport. Especially if like Campana is healthy. <laughs> I don't know what his current status yeah. is. But, he, you know, you got like Pozuelo, Iguain, and Campana. yeah. That's like a that's yeah. like a that's like a trio that, you know that that's like like what we got. Yeah. So then that leaves the game this weekend. New York Red Bulls hosting one FC Cincinnati. Both these teams drew one to one, home and away, in the regular season. We have must be a winner in this match. There's there's no way to get away with a draw. I'm not aware of any major misses from their roster right now. I don't believe we're missing anybody, although I haven't had a good update on Alvis Powell in a while. Who do we got? I hate the kickoff time for this game. I hate I hate <laughs> noon I hate sucks. a noon road kickoff on the Saturday just coming right out of the shoot. I think we're the first playoff game that kicks off. We sure are. It just it it feels like this is that time slot that the Bengals lost all those games to the Texans in that like yep. one o'clock on a Saturday when most people don't even realize the playoffs have started. And for travel purposes, that sucks because you're probably coming in the night before. Um, I, I don't foresee them flying in same day for a kickoff that early. Uh, yeah, I, I have to say we're going to win just because I want to be optimistic, but that's a, Right. It this one feel when that draw came out on that that noon Saturday, I was like, "Fuck, it's not." What I, I didn't wanted think to play. they'd give us a Unimas match. We don't have an over the air uh, broadcast in the market. It, it was an odd choice to me. Um, I guess. Well, now I was trying to say that they're trying to dodge a uh, a college football game, but none of these markets really have. I mean, Miami and, and Central Florida, but. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're fine. So I, it was a weird choice. It was a weird choice. Um, so, I mean, yes, we're all going to pick FC Cincinnati, right? Like, so, you kind of have to. And there's no reason to think we can't. There's no reason to think we can't. 
So it's not an it's not an absurd prediction. So I I I know it's I know it's controversial in soccer in soccer circles, but I like a playoff format over like a season you champion format. No. Because I think I think <laughs> stories man. matter. I think stories matter. And what are stories but but characters? And a char- character needs an arc. Right. That's what the cup and competitions are you watch for. A, <laughs> you, you watch like a you watch like a good rom com. And who who's your hero of the rom com? Is it the guy who's steady it's, it's from the, the beginning of the friend. movie to the end? <laughs> or is it the guy who's kind of shitty at first? It's the wise mentor. Uh, but has potential and comes yes. around. You know? And so like you start off kind of shitty, but you know, everyone but you still got like that charm, right? And it's like, oh, I've made up with my mom at this point in the movie. That's like signing Wobota, you know? And um, <laughs> I got a new job and got a nice apartment. Well, we got we got Miazga in the door. And now we're <laughs> cooking, you know? And who, who do you want? Who do you want Winona Ryder to end up with? Ben Stiller, Frankie Amaya. No wait, no. Or Ethan no, Hawke. I mean, she's probably taller than Frankie Amaya. And F- <laughs> FC Cincinnati is 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 Ethan Hawke, right? Because you get you get stories. I've always said that. Right. And no, we're 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 really we're Adam Sandler is who we are. Like <laughs> like the level of glow up is way too much for the Ethan Hawke movie arc. We are definitely Billy Madison in this. Like if we're making yes. this a rom, it's not really a rom com. It's just a straight it's com really with a little, yeah. yeah, a little bit of rom involved. Where it's like we really had to speed run school this year in order to inherit our <laughs> legacy. Hey, man, and along as, the way, we found love and happiness and a dead clown. It's um, as long as the cup is Brigitte Nielsen Sampras, uh, <laughs> I'm 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 happy. So yeah, of course, of course, I'm picking FC Cincinnati to beat to beat New York Red Bulls, right? Yes, because that's. That's the best story, man. Yeah. Except in this, and you don't yeah. get that. You don't get that in like a in like a Euro League. Except where in the, the Bill, in a Billy Madison storyline, that would make New York Josh Lyman, and I really like Josh Lyman in the West Wing. So that's going to be hard. <laughs> uh, I don't like Josh Lyman. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> West Wing so, sucks, man. Oh, Whoa. what? No, that's controversial. Just, that's, that's just that's that's of all the takes you've had over a full season of regular season matches. This may be your worst take. This may be worse than your last Jedi take last week. And I thought that was a new low. <laughs> I'm not. I don't remember how much of that that take actually made it to air. Thank God there's some editorial control on this. It's good for him because that new job would have canned him on day one if they would have found out he was a last Jedi fan. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, look, I'm happy to go full homer here, but FC Cincinnati, Philadelphia, we're the only that's team the that best, can put up a fight. That's the best story, though. Like, if, if you want to talk that's about storylines story. in the playoffs, yeah. it's Pat Noonan in his first year with this this turnaround story, this incredible, like, glow up for FC Cincinnati. And who does he run into but his mentor, the team that, that gave him his start, Albright the same way. Two Philly guys returned to Philly now in the postseason. 
And goddamn, would that be a good story if they could beat them? That in year one, they have already lapped their their mentors. Philly's in a weird spot right now. They they haven't been firing on all cylinders. They kind of they kind of goofed up their uh, supporter shield challenge and actually got sneaky close to losing the top seed to uh, Montreal there at the very end. So um, the five there day, for the taking. The five day turnaround just makes me a little queasy. It does suck. Um, Thankfully, it's all in the same time zone. But think about you this, know, though. Think nice. about a five-day turnaround. What team would you want Albright and Noonan to play more than Philly? Philly? Absolutely Philly. Right. Right? Because right. they got the book on them. Yeah. We'd have Santos and just like just have him out there just to make him sad that he left. That would be good. Here's why. Like, <laughs> if, you, if you're out there and you're one of the many, the haters and the losers, and there, of which there are many – who have doubted FC Cincinnati this entire year, and you're somehow still listening to this podcast, this team has the firepower to beat anyone in MLS. Yes. Anyone. They have the ability to go out and score four or five goals in a game and just run someone out of the building. Whether they do it or not is another thing. But, like, the one thing you can say about this team is it's it's said in other sports, it's just as true in soccer, you can't win a game zero to negative one. You got to score goals. Yep. And this team does not have to rely on keeping the ball out of the back of the net to win. And that travels. It, it just really does. I'll tell you, I'll tell yeah. you where my head's at. We're either going to lose to Red Bulls or make it to MLS Cup. Like, this, this, is, a, this is a team that has like feast, been very feast or famine all season. All gas, I just, no breaks. Yeah, I just, I just, I just feel like they're either gonna, they're either gonna flame out or like Brenner is gonna get like a taste of, you're gonna get like one goal against Red Bull, and he's gonna end up like having a Billy Hatcher playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> what a reference! I love it. So, FC Cincinnati, CF Montreal, Club de Foot Montreal, FC Cincinnati is winning that, obviously. No. Obviously, that's that's got four. That's got four three defeat, like heartbreaking yeah. shootout loss written all over it. Oh yeah, that's how no, every that's... game we play against Montreal goes. The best Can argument we win that what, game, yes. Yeah, but like the only Will argument we lose that game win- four to three. Yes, probably yes. yes. But like the only <laughs> argument for us winning that game is we are so beyond due just to clip them in a shootout where like we we score the last back breaking goal. Like we're due for that. Yeah, that is a better story. It is a good story. Would, I mean, talk about well. Here's here. Okay, so you want you want stories? It's I'll give you my West because I know Austin. I know there's no reason. Sorry, yes, sorry, sorry, yes, sorry. That's I didn't exactly mean where, where, that's exactly I didn't where it gun. goes. But as he says, any Austin FC final. Yes, uh, but just to get there, Galaxy beat Nashville for a El Trafico semifinal. Dallas beats Minnesota. Austin obviously wins. You got a Dallas-Austin semifinal. We got two rivalries there. Conference final, LAFC and Austin, the two best teams in the West, duking it out for who gets all of the Latino MLS support. And then FC Cincinnati gets their, their revenge game. Uh, whew, uh, against Austin, and uh, that's that's went, the storyline. Just thinking about that, you went blank there for a second. Like you started seeing. I things. sure did. Actually, all of my uh, all of my programs over here just like shut down for a second. So sorry <laughs> about I, will, that. I, I will say that I 
just sitting here thinking about like the likely impossible matchups going into <laughs> going into this playoffs like i i'm sold on these playoffs because like <laughs> el trafico in the second round seems likely a texas what, what do they call it texas, texas derby, Dur- derby yeah. in deep- the <laughs> second round seems likely the texas cup yeah. <laughs> copa 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 tejas I actually do think they call it the Copa Tejas. <laughs> um, and then, you know, us versus Philly. Man. Oof. The Frankie Amaya revenge game, the Aaron Long Lucho story. Like, yeah. there's some good New York Red Bull bad blood there. That's fun. Um, plus, the historic rivalry with New York Red Bulls, I still maintain they're like our third biggest rival. This is good. This is Open Cup revenge. This is New York Red Bulls 2 always beating us in USL. Like there's plenty of bad blood to draw on here. Do you think they signed um, Hassan Nadam just for this one game? I mean, they did ABC sign Kryptonite. him. So yes. Oh shit. <laughs> they, he is he, I think he's on their two roster. No, he started against like Columbus. Jesus Christ. He's going to put Brandon Vasquez in his hip pocket just for old time's sake. Here's the question. Who do you think Ben Koch Mines tweets about for? it? <laughs> who, who does Ben Mines root for? Oh, God. Guess how many tweets Not Ben us. Mines made around, about the uh, playoff win? <laughs> <laughs> Not, Not us. Uh, if you wanted to continue the storylines, you could have – Miami and Orlando meet in the semifinals for a Florida Derby. I don't know who's the better storyline for us to play of them, but the nice thing is whoever we would play, we would host. And that's a good storyline in and of itself. <laughs> Which would give us one more opportunity to sneak a pack of Buskin cookies into the stadium and enjoy that bus boy in the Bailey. <laughs> The storyline ends with Breck Shea knocking us out of the playoffs, and now I don't want that story whatsoever. <laughs> no, I, I don't want – honestly, the team I want least in the playoffs is Miami. Right, because it's Miami. a proven fact that you can't – they don't commit fouls. Because I, 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 just, I, just I just fucking hate how how we play them. Like, I've, yeah. I've hated most of our games against them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's been not fun playing them. Uh, but there you have it. FC Cincinnati beats Austin FC 3-2. to two, Dramatic winner, Nick Haglin, header, 89th minute on a Lucho corner that finally clears the first man. And uh, that's, that's how MLS Cup is won. Boom. Done. Easy. Sorted. Next. <laughs> I can't wait. My blood pressure. <laughs> I can just feel it spiking. We're gonna lose three nothing on Saturday, and it's gonna suck ass. But so I, this I, is fun. My, the Cincinnati <laughs> fan in me thinks that's gonna happen, but like, like looking at the game, like, yeah, I just, I just think, like, I always, I always have that sense of dread, but like, I think we could run them off the field. I do too. I, they're they're not that not great good. at home. Yeah, and they're not that good. Period. No. They don't play soccer. No, no. And unlucky for them, 
the playoffs work for both the players and the teams and the referees. So there ought to be higher quality refereeing through the playoffs. Are so, we getting FIFA refs? Uh, <laughs> I don't. I, what's the other organization other than pro? Uh, they're used in the Open Cup. I don't remember. But Realm? there is another organization. We could. <laughs> <laughs> boom. boom. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Con. Well, gentlemen, I think I think that's it. I think this is I think this is the playoff podcast. How exciting, huh? Yeah, we're gonna let's do it again next <laughs> week after we win. Yeah, same Deal. thing. <laughs> same. <laughs> same. Just keep posting the same audio every week. Until or we just prete- or just keep pretending like we won every game and like come out next week like <laughs> looking forward to the next matchup regardless of what happens. <laughs> I mean, will anybody be able to tell the difference between Philadelphia and Cincinnati in the next round? No. So it'll be fine. <laughs> it's okay. Nobody listens anyway. <sighs> All right. Adios. Thank you for listening if you made it this far. Fuck Columbus. Fuck Columbus. Fuck Columbus. <laughs>